Well, joining me for another of the Forever Bristol City podcast uh, mid-season reviews of the 21-22 season is uh, local media pundit, well-known to Bristol City fans, Richard Latham. Richard, uh, coming up to Christmas, are you all geared for the festivities? Just about, I think, Dave. So going to be a bit different for me this year. I think for the first time in my um, whole career uh, of a journalist, I've got Boxing Day off because Bristol Rovers game has been cancelled and I cover Bristol City and Bristol Rovers. These are home games I've done for years. And COVID's interfered with their game against Sutton United. So I've got Boxing Day off. So looking forward to that. Oh, well, that'd be, uh, that'd be something nice. I mean, not many people know that, as the phrase goes, but back in the 80s, you and I used to cover... Uh, City, I was doing it for Radio West or GWR, and you were uh, in your long period with the post back then. But uh, when I phoned you the other day to fix this up, I said, are you still enjoying the Olympic breakfast and the Jubilee pancakes? That used to be a thing of ours on match days, the years after we got uh, chucked off the team coach. But uh, you still, have you had a Jubilee pancake recently? Yeah, like the little chefs we used to stop at. And um, that, yeah, that is a great memory. I, I travelled with the team for four, for no, 11 years, um, from the time Terry Cooper was manager through to uh, after Dennis Smith was manager. And in fact, I never got thrown off. I, I, I quit the post. And when I quit the post, um, I was still travelling on the coach. And, and from then on, they virtually stopped yeah. it. So um, it sounds ridiculous now that a journalist can't actually travelled on the team coach, but that's what I did. And um, uh, so from 82, when I took over City full-time uh, till 93, uh, every away game, I, uh, you know, if I, if, if I could get on the team coach, although it wasn't an overnight stop or whatever, you know, I used to travel with the team. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Nobody got chucked off. It was mainly overnight stops. And uh, we we did that a few times together. Uh, I know, I don't think I ever roomed with you. I did room with, no, we did once, away game at Newcastle. It must have been about 91 when we stayed at the, some hotel and we were watching Sky Sky Sport and it had only just started. And I think I rather stupidly went down the gym for about half an hour. But, uh, no, they were good. They were good days. And maybe we can uh, talk about good days in a separate episode. But the uh, the reason for the, the chat today is it's halfway through 21-22 season. Here are City, half the season gone, 27 points on the board. Um what we'd expect, I mean, if we'd have beaten Huddersfield, we'd have been on 30 and things would have looked bright. But what, what, what do you think of City's season so far? A uh, li- little bit as I expected. I think possibly a little bit better than I expected because at the end of last season, I thought they were quite clearly the worst team in the championship. Uh, the, you know, the results were terrible. The home record was appalling. Um, and when it started this season, the home, first home game was against Blackpool and it was OK, better. Uh, and I think they conceded late on, and they, they did that then in two two other home games, at least, uh, to drop points, and it took ages to get that monkey off the back of, of winning at home, and that was, you know, got more and more difficult with each each time they didn't win. Um, you can't do well in a league if you haven't got a good home record. I don't care how good you, you are, you ain't going to do it by winning away every week, and in the competitive league like the Championship, then there's no chance of you doing that, so they had to sort out the home form, which they've done to an extent, um, but to be honest, the squad that Nigel Pearson took on, um, I don't think is good enough. And, and until he's had the chance to improve it, and we don't know yet whether that will happen, because I don't think the club's finances are in a great state. No. Uh, uh, he certainly won't be able to improve it significantly with major signings or big money signings, that's for sure. Um, but if he can improve it with the odd signing in January, then I think they'll be OK. And, and really, I'd settle right from the start of this season. I'd settle for being in the Championship again next year because you've got to progress slowly. You've got to remember that they kept selling their best players every summer 
uh, when Lee Johnson was manager. You know, you can think of a summer where they sold Bobby Reed and they sold Joe Bryan and they sold Aidan Flint. That was all in one summer. Uh, more recently, they 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 they, they got rid of. Um, Lloyd Kelly, well, not got rid of it, sold Lloyd, Lloyd Kelly and Adam Webster. Were and then Josh Brownhill in December. So, yeah. you know, you cannot in the championship keep doing that and hope you're going to survive. And you're all, all, often replacing them with lesser players for lesser money. And that's what the story of Bristol City is from the time, really, when they beat Manchester United in the League Cup and, beat, and ran Manchester City close in the semi-final, when we had an exciting team. Um, and everyone praised Lee for his tactics in those games and everything, and everything seemed to be going well. But... He's not, he wasn't a magician. And I kept thinking every time they sold someone, I mean, for, for example, Lloyd Kelly. So he's not played very much. So he's, he's one of the academy products. And, you, and that we, we say, if we're going to ever do well at Bristol City, you've got to get the academy products playing. Mm. As soon as he does well, he gets sold. So that's one thing. To then sell Adam Webster, who's a similar position, who was the previous year's player of the year, that yeah. same summer, having got 13 million for for. for Lloyd Kelly. I didn't think they needed to sell Adam Webster. But then, if a player, surely Richard, if a player gets tapped up, and it, it's it's ironic that we're holding this conversation the week of the, uh, uh, the the four years ago this week, the famous win over Man United, and then beating Forest on Boxing Day. You're right, we were riding high. But if you look at Brian Flint and Bobby Reed that summer, all three players wanted away they were in the public eye they had their heads turned and even with but where did they go Dave? they didn't go to manchester united or liverpool so yeah. if we're selling players to brighton then over my time covering bristol city brighton and bristol city are comparable clubs you know southampton's a comparable club you know uh, they're not clubs that so these guys are going oh i must leave bristol city to, if they are if they're thinking that leaving bristol city to join brighton is a step forward then we're in big trouble because um, as, until Bristol City start persuading some of these players that there is a future and a Premier League possibility at Ashling Gate, and we were building towards that, you cannot keep selling your best players. You sold, yeah. so you, you sold Aidan Flint, who was, who was a goal-scoring centre-back, um, you know, got 15 goals in one season, I know in the lower division, but for Steve Cottrell. That's another team that we're doing so well. And Steve Cottrell wants to sign one striker for, say, eight or nine million. And he Which was Andre Gray or Dwight Andre Gale. Gale and Dwight Gale, absolutely. So he mentioned those two. The board got frightened to death. A few, few years later, we're paying that sort of money for Han Noah Masengo, you know, in, in midfield. Yeah. And, and, you, and you think, what, what you know, if, he, if they added when they were winning... You know, then, then, but you see, this is the thing. Isn't this the thing, though? Because again, the, the other mid-season reviews, we've talked about recruitment, and this is fundamentally the problem. We are where we are. But then you look at Steve Lansdowne, and you know he's he's funded he's funded losses. Never mind the infrastructure, he's funded losses over the last eighteen years or so that he's been chairman. That you know, two hundred million probably. It's going to be thirty-five million for the. Results are just about to come out. There's no, no, no doubt about that. So why is it happening? He's putting the money in, and some people have achieved a lot more with less. If you look at Harlan and Cardiff, both have had two seasons in the Premier League. Okay, they've come straight back down relatively quickly since 2008. What is it? I mean, what is it about us that we don't seem to go through that gate of success? Well, the recruitment hasn't been good enough. That's the simple answer. And also, we're, the manager is usually required to spend less than he's brought in and to sign players in the championship. Now, talk about a, a championship striker. People are saying, I'd sign a championship striker. They paid 5.3 million for Jeju, and he divided opinions, but he got more goals than anybody else did during his time at, yeah. at Ashton Gate. And what do you get for 5.3 million? You get a Jeju. 
If you're going to go better than that, you've got to start spending 15 million or 20 million in the championship these days, you know, to get a proper championship goals, proven goal scorer, you know, unless you're pulling one out of the lower leagues and that you're taking a chance on. So Bristol City are no longer in that position. The problem with Steve Lansdowne's um, writing off all the debts is you can't do that anymore. These financial fair player rules now demand that clubs are run properly and Bristol City will run foul of them. I promise you, at some point they will run foul of that because you cannot keep um, uh, buying players as they have done recently and not selling. And when the debts were already 10 and 12 million a year, as you Mm -hmm. say, it's more likely to be 30 million this year. You cannot do that anymore. So if it's 30 million, then somewhere along the line, the questions are going to be asked about how the club's being run financially. And you cannot in the end say, we've got somebody who'll bung the money in and and save us, because that doesn't work anymore. You've got to stick within the turnover rules of the financial fair play. But when you look at at the league table as it stands at the halfway stage, and it's clearly, you know, you've got uh, Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom, all towards the top, all, funnily enough, faltering a little bit. But then there's a glutch of clubs, probably you could take another 12 clubs then in that next bracket, that some of them have got residual parachute payments. But let's take two clubs as examples, Luton and Millwall, and dare I say QPR, that are all up, they all get less gates than we've got. They haven't got owners with bottomless pockets, yet they're all doing ostensibly better than we are you know they're sustainable you know they couldn't they couldn't exist with the losses that but will any of them reach the premier league i would doubt that the trouble with these parachute payments is they give the people involved the clubs involved a huge start every season so you're going to get more and more yo-yo clubs you're going to get more norwich cities you're going to get more west brom you're going to get more fulhams up one season down the next back up the next season boring as hell um, because they start off with these massive parachute payments, which I totally disagree with. And I know people at Bristol City disagree with as well, and so, so they should, because it gives everybody else a massive advantage. Always you're going to get clubs who overperform. Look at Burton Albion, you know, that, that got to League One and, 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 and then hired and, and a little flirted with the championship for a while. You know, that was magnificent for that, that club, and you could still get that, but you don't get it often. You know, back in our day, everybody could dream of being in the first division. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't care who you were and where you were in the league. It's like Bristol Rovers now. Take Bristol Rovers. They haven't got a cat in house chance of reaching the Premier League. They hardly got any chance at all of reaching in the Championship mm. because they are now stuck in League Two. The money they pay is low. Um, they get the gates and they've got the support, but... They, they, they haven't got the infrastructure or whatever to, to, or a training ground or any of the advantages Bristol City have now got, thanks to Steve Lansdowne. So they have got no chance. And, and that takes a load of the romance out of football. I, I don't like it. I think, uh, you know, clubs should have a, every club should have a reasonable chance of progression. When you talk about Bristol City, yes, recruitment hasn't been good enough. But if you look at the money that's come in to, to what they've spent, how much yeah. did Wines cost? Two million, something like that. So you're yeah. spending two million on a striker. You're not going to get a championship regular goal scorer. I mean, but, nine, nine goals. But one, one thing that we've said uh, on the podcast on occasion, um, it is wages. And Bristol City, it's clubs in the bag, you know, a phrase that both Lee and Gary use, clubs in the bag. It's almost as if we go out and we'll sign six players at 10 grand a week rather than three players at 20 grand a week who make the difference. And the person who's controlling the purse strings at the top there is Steve Lansdowne, you know, and this wage thing, you said about getting a Dijou, that's what you get for 5 million, but it's like if you buy a BMW, it costs more to service a BMW than it does to service a Mini. You know, is that the disconnect? And you talk about clubs and the, the 
the lack of ability to progress. You look at Bournemouth, I mean, less than 10 years ago, they were in League Two and they were bold one year. They put money in and they bought success and they got there and they stayed there for five years on gates, two thirds, a third less than what we get, more than a third, probably about half less. So has, has Steve, he's tried to be sustainable but he's not gone for it one season. And as we say, that 2017-18 season or 18-19, both those seasons, we had a chance and we weren't bold in the window, maybe, just like we weren't in 2008 when Hull signed Fraser Campbell and we signed um, Dele Adebola, you know, totally altered the way we played, yeah? Mm. Have, have we been victims of our own downfall because we've not been bold? There's a simple reason why you get six players at low prices rather than one is, is wages. If you sign a player for 15 million now or 20 million, he is going to be on twice the wages of anybody else at Ashton Gate. Yeah. And that is not good because sooner or later, the players who are there already, and if he, especially if he's not performing great, it goes back over many, many years. You know, they will they will know what he's on and they will start demanding the same. So Bristol City's wage, wage budget will then go up and up and up. So you, you cannot suddenly put one person on 50 grand a week and have the rest on 20. And, and I mean, you're talking about 10. But these, there are players now on 20 grand a week, actually, mm. no question. Um, so sign with someone that's on 50 a week and you start to get problems so I, I know that's why Steve one of the reasons why they've gone along the route they have but I keep going back to the fact that if you think that was bad these financial fair play rules are going to make it even worse because they cannot they will not go out in January I promise you and spend a lot of money no. because they can't they're already um, facing problems with the financial fair play yeah. and not this year but next year because it's a three year cycle the league haven't given everybody a year off because of well, COVID, in so it's going to get it's going to get worse before it gets better but surely for other change, they will get a points penalty it's as simple as that you think 22 23 we're lining up for a points penalty at the I end of i think it's very possible and, and i think other clubs as well i mean now that it's happened to derby and it's happened to reading um you, they will be the tip of the iceberg because or every club in the championship has been gambling on trying to get to the promised land of the premier league you may say bristol city haven't spent much and they haven't but look at a club like nottingham forest who spent a fortune a couple of years ago yeah uh, and and I, I think probably they'll be examined soon uh, i'm not saying bristol city are alone but i am saying these financial fair play rules have changed everything you cannot suddenly have one bloke who says yeah i'll put 50 million in and we'll spend a bit of that it doesn't work that way anymore you've got to be seen to run the club financially properly and i don't think over recent years that's been the case for bristol city so there's got to be a fear that at some point some some action will be taken against them it's interesting you say this you make a good point there rich it's interesting you say about lands down sort of chucking money in to pay off the losses right which you're not going to be able to do that but you could and clubs get very constructive I mean one there's a limit I mean we've lost money for so many years that you know you can only do these sort of things once but you could rename the stadium something and he could charge you know he, well he's not Hargreaves Lansdowne anymore but he could say it's now the Hargreaves Lansdowne Stadium and the sponsorship revenue for that is 20 million I mean, he could have done that in the past because that's one way round it because that's that's income coming in 
which is very different to writing off losses, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe we. Got... And then if you're talking twenty million, yeah, I know it's a drop in the ocean. Losses, there's a drop in the ocean. You know, things have gone so far one way that I, I, I just think financially, Bristol City at the moment have got to be very, very careful. And it would yeah. astonish me if in January the fans get a big money striker, which a lot of them are expecting. Well, I don't, yeah, absolutely. I mean, let, let's talk a bit about Jack. Uh, well, we'll come on the January transfer window in a minute. How effective do you think our recruitment was? in the summer because we went out and Nigel signed seven and how we get seven is because I'm including Nathan Baker as a re-sign probably at lower wages and Andy Vyman and then he brought in three people that he knew Simpson, King and James and then uh, Atkinson and Tanner you would say they were good up-and-coming youngsters that collectively cost two million which in financial terms these days is quite a lot do you think that was money and wages well spent last uh, last in July. Some cases, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Mm. Um, Danny Simpson to me was uh, not the sort of signing I want to see at Bristol City. He's about thirty-four years old, and uh, I think fullback was a problem for City. I don't like the fullbacks they've got at the moment. I'm, I'm not counting Tanner because we haven't seen much of him, but I think they're weak at fullback. I don't think there's there's a, a good defenders amongst the fullbacks. So I think Nigel understood that very quickly, tried to address it with somebody he knew. But how how many games has Danny Simpson played? Uh, and and you know, a player of that experience, you're going to be. Paying him a reasonable amount of money. I think Matty James has been a good signing. I think he, he sitting in front of the back four, he, he does a reasonable job. And again, he's at the experienced end. But then if you're going to, you know, managers have always got two priorities, you know, the, the, the long term, but really the short term that keeps them in the job. And, you know, Nigel's record, let's face it, is appalling. Well, he's lost 20 games out of the 38 that he's had. Are, are there extenuating circumstances of that? Yes, there are, because he's tried to start changing things. And, I keep going back to, I'm not a manager sucker. I don't like it. Over all my years covering Bristol City, there's been far more damage done by sacking the manager than there has. How many people would now go back to Lee Johnson as manager and how things were going then? And yet, on social media, it's Johnson out, Johnson out, get him out, you know, all this sort of thing. And, you know, but but then you look down the line and if you look at the bigger picture over a, over a lot of years, you know, are we where, are we now where we were when he was managing? No, we're not. We're no, well, we've gone back in the four years. We've gone back. And it's interesting you said about home form. I'm sure the view of the fans would be less, I'll call it, if I think it's the right word, febrile, if the last four years away form had been seen at home because most of City's performances in the last four years have been away from Ashton Gate. And it used to be, you know, if you go back in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, you know, you be guaranteed at home we'd be a good home team and we'd be winning in a bad season still win 12 at home and in a half decent season even without promotion 15 and well, that's you've got to have your team. Team. right you're never going to keep winning away I've watched City many years and there have been times when they've won away and not at home what starts happening is you start losing away as well you don't start winning at home all the time and even now we're seeing this transitional period they've won a couple at home fine but then they lose to Huddersfield you know they've now got a couple of home games coming up at well they've got three very tough games coming up Rich because if you look at it Luton away sorry Luton yeah Luton away QPR home Fulham away, I think, and then no, Millwall home, and then Fulham away. The next four league games. They've got they've got a couple of home games that they've got to try and make the most of because away from home you are not going to beat the likes of Fulham. Uh, I don't I don't you know, or if you do once, you're not going to beat the next one that you, you yeah. face. But going back to the going back to the change in manager. Yeah, go on. Yeah, how, sorry. how yeah. the club's been run. How the club's been run. The most 
damning thing about the way the club's been run was the Lee Johnson situation when they got sacked Lee Johnson after within an hour of the match against Cardiff at Ashton Gate where they lost. So it's like a knee-jerk reaction almost, although social media have been demanding it for a long time. So they get, and you think, right, they must know what's next. Six weeks later, they appoint his assistant. Yeah. Now you tell me, so Dean Holden gets the job. He knows he, he wasn't the one they wanted because it's taken six weeks. Otherwise they'd have just said, right, Lee's going, you take over Dean, if they thought he was great. So they, they thought they were going to get Chris Hewton and something broke, broke down there in the, in the talks. But to appoint the assistant six weeks yeah. later is, is well, It was criminal. And I mean, that's when we started this podcast in the run up to that. And we just couldn't believe what had happened. You know, like he's a wonderful human being. And look, I, 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 some people say we obsess about it on this podcast, but there's one person who's instrumental in all of this, or is he? And that is no longer here, but is Mark Ashton. Yeah. Now, do you think, and we've said this, but do you think Steve took his eye off the ball and with his son sort of there, Mark Ashton, who we think sort of feathered his nest to do with Ipswich a good year before he joined them anyway, yeah, do we think he's culpable, or do you point the finger at um, at um, at Steve? Well, Steve and John, but father and son, because Ashton, you look at what's happening up at Ipswich at the moment, right? And you know, Ashton surrounds himself with easy touches, and it looks like he's done that with the appointment at Ipswich of their new manager, having dismissed Paul Cook, very much a knee-jerk reaction. Do, do you do you point any finger of blame yourself at Mark Ashton? Well, Steve appointed him, and not only did Steve appoint him, he backed him all the way through. Even when he was starting to get criticised on social media, um, Steve still came out and said what hard work and he, he a lot of hard work he's done. I had no time for the blue whatsoever, so there's yeah. no point me, me commenting because yeah. I didn't think him as a person, and I, I and I, I don't think the job he did was was was, was particularly. But good. as you say, we ended up with Dean Holden, which six weeks down the line was an absolute disaster. One thing I do know, incidentally, is that the best best signing they've made to Bristol City in years is Richard Gould. I was going to say he's a proper Mark Ashton with Richard Gould. Yeah, it's the biggest step forward, Bristol City, yeah. and he's not going to want to get his finger in all the other pies. With he's all not one to the limelight. He'll do. He'll deal with things efficiently behind the scenes. I've worked with him first at Bristol City when he was uh, the commercial director. Uh, yeah. I've worked with him at Somerset Cricket Club when he when he was chief executive there. He was highly thought of at Surrey when he moved to Surrey Cricket Club, which is like the Manchester United of of cricket. Yeah. You know, He's chief executive at the Oval. Masses of things were done. When he was chief executive at Somerset, the flats were built. They made more money in a year than, than they'd made in their whole history put together. And Richard was behind all that and had some, some success on the field as well. And he, given the chance, will start sorting things out. The trouble is, what he's inherited is a very, very difficult financial situation and, yeah. um, and also a difficult management position because while I think the majority of fans want to give Nigel Pearson a chance... Nigel's health issues aren't helping, you know. Well, exactly. That's a very good point. What they are. They were well documented before he came here because it was in the media. He suffered and then he joined us. I, I don't think we've seen necessarily the real Nigel Pearson, although the last couple of games he's been more animated on the touchline. Maybe he's got his mojo back. But when he joined, um, are, you, are you surprised that, well, they've gone now, but Downing 
and Simpson, they were strange appointments to come in under Holden, weren't they? No, yeah. no, I didn't think they were strange appointments. I think the reason they were appointed was deans and experience, so they wanted two experienced coaches. I think that made some sort of logical sense. So you get you put the experience on the coaching side, and they were going to help Dean Holden, who, who was totally inexperienced as a, as, as a manager. Then you don't give that any time, you know. So even if you said now, where were we when Dean Holden left? We're not as bad. We're worse off now than when when Dean. Yeah, Holden. he did all right. He won the first four. And every time the man a new manager days, comes yeah. in, this is one of the problems. They they want to bring their own staff in. So over a, whatever period of time it is, it's happened with Joey Barton at Rovers. You know, they gradually get rid of the coaches that were already there and bring in their own their own men. And that happens. So so you're not only sacking the manager every time you get rid of a manager. You, you're sack. You're basically saying we'll change our whole uh, coaching staff again. Mm-hmm. And and if you keep doing that, you cannot get any continuity, and you keep changing the number of players every every summer I mean Rovers have done it much more than City Rovers have like signed 20 players in a summer um, and 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 you, you don't recognise the squad from one season to the next City have done it sort of to the extent of five or six or seven mm. um, and and I can understand that you've got to make changes but if you keep on making wholesale changes especially yeah. at the top then you end up setting yourself back. But this is where social media does football such a discredit because the people that are willing to give the manager a chance don't go on it and I always remember Terry Cooper used to say to me about the Evening Post, he used to say, your letters page is ridiculous because he said there'll be four letters criticising me and you use them one after another. And it sounds like the whole fan base are against me. Yeah. And he was absolutely right because no one who was happy with him wrote in. You know, you don't write, you don't... On social uh, Richard, media, you're 100% right because it's this, it's this era that we live in now of outrage and knee-jerk reaction to everything. Let's look at the side that we've got at the moment. And you've made the comment about Nigel, you know, his record so far isn't great. There's no doubt about that. And, okay, if we'd have got a draw against Huddersfield, you'd say, well, at least the home form is right. We've been accused on FBC podcasts of knee-jerk reaction in the wake of each defeat. And when we have a defeat, we get almost double the number of people listen to the podcast because they want to hear people moaning about it. But take Huddersfield apart. The last six games uh, prior to Huddersfield, no, including Huddersfield, two wins, two draws, two defeats, right? So that's bang average at the end of the day. Is Nigel, do you think Nigel, because when you, if you take on a job, you've got a bag of tools. You've got to make use of the tools that you've got. And on Saturday against Huddersfield, we have the situation where not only do we have... Um, young uh, Alex Scott playing at wing-back. But we also had uh, Eamon Benaroos. When players available for selection, well, certainly De Silva, and then Pring, so it's been reported, said the day before, he didn't feel ready. Yeah. What, is, is, is Nigel trying to make some sort of statement that, you know, he needs to get players out and he needs to bring additional players in by playing players so far out of position it beggars belief he's not really helping himself sometimes well, it started off like that because last season they had a points cushion when he took over they, they weren't going to go down okay so so he could afford to play young players and and it was i think the right way forward he wanted to see how good they were and all that sort of thing um they survived comfortably enough and and we saw young players come in come into the team mm-hmm. okay i think still i keep going back to this weakness of fullback he's still trying to find a system that covers that weakness at fullback. Uh, and 
if, you, if you're talking about Alex Scott playing at wing back, Scott Murray used to say to me, wing back is the hardest position to play mm. because one minute you expect to be up getting crosses in, and the next minute you're meant to be back, you're meant to be back helping mm. the defence and, and, and doing that. And I thought all season City have been vulnerable down the flanks at home. If, you, if the play is going on down the left, you will look down on the pitch and you will see the right winger of the other team absolutely in. 20, 30 yards of space, not being marked. The, the play will be transferred and suddenly he's running at either the full-back or the centre-backs. And, and if, if you give a chance, player a chance to run at you, then you're giving him a better chance of going past you, quite obviously. And I think Nigel's been struggling to find it. And you've got to remember that every time Nathan Baker plays two games, he gets injured. And, and so you, you feel for the manager in, in as much as he can't get a settled back three. I mean, he probably would like Callas Atkinson Baker, I would have thought, as his, as his back three. But... That you, you, you're not going to get that if, if somebody goes down. I mean, Nathan gets so many head injuries, and it's yeah. very unfortunate for the bloke, you know. But it, but it, you cannot keep a settled. Well, side. you look at a Bristol City side with Nathan Baker and dare I say Joe Williams. Based on what we've seen him capable of doing so far, it starts to look quite good. But you're and as you say, Callas Baker and Atkinson as a three. But even without Baker, could he not? play a more recognised back four. And if you look at fullbacks, again, available for selection on Saturday, if you played a back four, Zach Viner can play at fullback. I mean, I, we said on a podcast the other day, I said with Gregor, Zach Viner is what in old money we call a good utility player because he can play fullback, he can play centre and he can play in midfield. But he's not good enough to be a first choice in any of those positions. But on Saturday, you have Viner, Tanner and Simpson who are all right backs. And if Simpson's legs hadn't gone, you know, surely he's fit enough that you could get half a game out of him. And then you could have played a flat back four without having some of the square pegs in round holes as people level at it. You know, do, 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 do you think... Right. As I agree with you. Players can play there, but they can't play well enough there. That's my view. I don't think we've got anybody at fullback who can play well enough. That's my personal. Yeah. I think defensively they're all suspect. I think the, some of them flatter to deceive going forward. And and yeah. I've always thought fullback's first job is to defend. And you get you get fullbacks who make their name and and um, become big money players through through their attacking skills. Joe Bryan was one who, who who did so well going forward and got great crosses in, scored goals, you know. And he was always going to be worth worth a lot of money. But unless you're doing that, how many goals has Jay De Silva got? I mean, you know. So if he bombs forward, let, let, let's see a goal. Well, we've we'll seen we've seen nothing. <laughs> when we signed Jay De Silva, we were expecting to see a player in the mould of Danny Rose, who. Honestly, didn't flatter to deceive here, but that's that marauding, small physical stature. And I think the ball, I think he's too short to play well, back anyway. How many goals does he score? How many assists has he got? Yeah, none. Well, and if you're going to talk about goals and assists, what's your view on Hano Masengo, who's very well liked by the fans, but well, yeah. by the fans. Um, but I stick, stick to fullback a moment. Steph mm. Sessignon, any better? No, I don't think so. Uh, Tanner is is progressive, so I, I was hoping when he got in the team he would kick on, but he's a young player who needs to be used probably sparingly, and Nigel, Nigel realised that. He's the only one of our so-called fullbacks, and I include Viner in this, that I think um, has got a chance of, of nailing down a position and being there for a long time because the others simply to me aren't good defenders. I don't care where they play, they just aren't, aren't very good. In uh, and you're including Atkinson in that as well, then? Yes. Uh, Atkinson, no, I'm, I'm, Atkinson's a centre back in my view, so I, I, I don't include him among the full back. Yeah. I yeah. don't know with him yet. I think and we don't know enough about this uh, Robbie Cundy either, do we? Because he's another one who's been 
injured wow. all the season. I mean, can't go by the ones we never win. Do you think? Do you think Jada Silver and uh, Casey Palmer will play a game for Bristol City? I mean, you talked about was Nigel making a point. He, he actually said it after a game. Somebody asked why Casey Palmer was playing, and he said, "Well, um, they've been training all week. Um, you know, he didn't play. Whoever it was, Alex Scott did, or whatever." Read your own conclusion. Yeah, and somebody said to me the other day that Palmer and De Silva are both training with the under 23s. I don't know how much truth. I don't, well, I don't, I don't know anything about that. All I'm just giving you is my yeah. opinion on them as yeah. players. And I think Casey Palmer flatters to deceive and is not good defensively. And one of the problems they've got in, in midfield is they haven't got a Corey Smith. And if you had a Corey Smith or, you know, going back to our time, Jerry Gowan and something like that, they haven't got a midfield ball winner. And I think like Tyreek Bakinson's at the young age and everything, but he's big but he's he's weak to me you know he's, he's physically weak so you haven't got a physical presence in midfield unless you count Matty James who plays just in front of the back four King we haven't seen much of again uh, and I mean the, the injury record last season was so ridiculous it was untrue so I think they've done well in changing that they've changed the medical oh getting uh, Dave Rennie yeah I've never known 15 players out at the same time and no. a lot with long-term injuries in all my time covering the club so that had to be changed and Nigel's addressed that um, going back to, to Nigel I, I, the, the key thing is he's got to keep the fans on his side and as long as enough of them are on his side and I think because they look at his record and he got Leicester he did the job at Leicester that Bristol City weren't doing uh, yeah. he's still thought of very highly for that I keep going back to it. if he were left who do you go to then you will get the same list of, of applicants what I call second class applicants either young managers who've never done it before yeah. or the likes of Paul Cook or you know all, the, all these ones that City fans will look at and say oh, no. you know when, when there was or a foreigner so it's a project it is a three-year project so but that's fans a- always talk about Stephen you know last time Stephen Gerrard might come what you know, yeah. and it's the same every time a city manager goes, oh, some big name is going to take it. No big no, name. No, 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 no. The no, only name that would take it now, outside of Nigel Pearson, I think is Neil Warnock, because he's at the age the age he is, and he'd probably take it on a, on a short-term basis. Well, and that's what we were saying prior to that little run I mean, of fixtures where we, I'd absolutely to re- we had that run of five defeats, I think it was in November, and then he, well, his I'm, name I'm, was I'm, being I'm mentioned because we were... Facing I think relegation a fantastic job as manager at, at Ashton Gate. I think he's he's done well everywhere he goes. The fans of opposition clubs hate him, but the fans of his own clubs love him. And I'm a big Neil Warnock fan. And you look at his yeah. record of getting sides out of the championship, it's unbelievably good. So yeah. I would be happy with him short-term, long-term, if Nigel Pearson left. But there's no, no suggestion at the moment he will. If he does, it's probably because, it will be because of his health more than anything else. He's yeah. got to be given a chance, like everybody else, and so few are, to actually have time in the job to make a difference. Yeah. Let's look at the forwards we've got at Ashton Gate now, uh, Rich. And Andy Vyman, now it's interesting. He's got nine goals and four assists now. Um, Chris Honor, I think, was saying on one of these pieces that we did, and maybe Gregor as well. He, you know, he, I say he flatters to deceive. He's never controlled in possession. And his goal scoring and his assists, you'd say, well, he's the best player we've got at the moment. So I'm going to park Andy Vyman. Um, this insistence on absolute insistence on playing Chris Martin, who's absolutely out on his feet. You know, he's he's just turned 30, I think. Um, but he's played all bar about 20 minutes of the season. When you've got other players on the bench, I mean, um, Nigel said Louis Britton wasn't fit enough, so he's gone off to prove himself at Woking. But you've got Naki Wells. Good to see Semenyo coming through. And we talk about formations, and you say he's still not found it yet. But we could be more compact with a four-five-one. Yeah. Um, what? What? Why are we not playing Wells and Vyman? He brought. 
Tommy Conway into the squad at the weekend. Why not give Tommy a run for the last 20 minutes? Who's got pace? You know, he scored a couple of league goals, I think. Why flog Chris Martin to death? Because uh, Chris Martin plays with his back to goal. None of the others do. And it's a vastly different job. If you play 4 5 1, you've got to play Chris Martin. Absolutely. And, and set an absolute 100%. Because if the ball's played up to him, he's got his back to goal. He's going to either flick it on or he's going to get it under control. So men, you can't play that position. Naki no. Wells can't play that position. So one up front, you've got, you have to play Martin. Play two up front. Yes, you could go back to the old Glenn Riley, Steve Neville days and have two small ones. But Naki Wells has been a huge disappointment. I mean, when we signed him, I was really pleased because against City, he's been brilliant. And I've seen him score great goals. But no, not for me. Um, Andy Wyman, I like very much. Yeah. I think he gives everything for the team every week. And, and that, that makes him a, a, a top player, you know. So um, I, in my view, that's, um, that's a really, really good, really good man to have in your team. But you want the right person alongside him. And that's what they're going to be looking for in January, but at a, at a, at a reasonable price. <laughs> but no, this is it. This is it. Now, this is, this is the point here, looking in Jan. Yeah, because we're, can we can, no. we can we stop there a minute? Can you just stop there a second? Yeah, I've, I've got someone at the door, so I need to. Yeah, sure. I'll pause. Just bear with me. There we go. Yeah, you were set. We were just talking then about um, Chris Martin, and he's the only one that can play um, the way Nigel seems to be playing at the moment. Which is, are, we, are you saying we're playing long ball then? Yeah, because I'm, that. I, th I think when you're a limited team, you have to play long ball. I'm not against long ball tactics. I'm against. I want tactics that's that effective. And if you've got a big centre forward, you play you play long balls right. up to him, as far as I'm concerned. Get so, what would your him. view? What would your view be then on this kiddie that's been oft mentioned at Rotherham? Yeah, because I spoke to a Rotherham fan. This is the one we could have had in the summer. He's just coming up thirty or just turned thirty. I think I can't remember his name now, but. You know, he's with Rotherham. Why would he leave Rotherham and come to us? OK, we're in the championship. But he's going to cost probably a fee in a depressed market, 800 grand. And he's probably going to be on, I'll say, 10 grand a week to give him an uplift. But is he going to be... It's always getting players in that are better than what we've got. And, you know, the Rotherham fan said to me, he said he's OK, but he's not championship player. And that's the market that we're in. So how are we going to get a striker with the spectre of FFP looming above us, yeah? Do we just muddle through this season and wait until the summer when a lot of clubs are going to be in bigger shit than we are now? Well, I don't like January signings, full stop. You don't get value for money in January, ever. It's, it's panic signings normally by a club in trouble uh, and, and the best clubs doing well don't want to sell their players. So they're going to put a high price on him. So uh, I don't know how good this lad is. Um, and I'm not going to pass judgment on him, but I, what I'm saying to you is it's probably that or nothing. And that's the only choice is you are not going to get a Bristol playing even five million for a player this January. No, no. way. Um, no. So if he's £800,000 and he can come in and he's, he's confident because he's scoring goals and he can get him, then uh, yes, maybe it'd be, it'd be a good move. But um, I would prefer to wait for the summer. Um, the only worry is, you know, you've got, OK, you've got Derby or out of it. Um, you've got, you know, Reading have had points penalties. You've got Peterborough down there, but Peterborough win every now and again. They're about eight points behind the city. That's all. You know, that's yep. a great deal. I mean, it is when you're not winning very often, but, you know, you've still got to keep an eye on the ball that we're not safe yet. You know, you've got to 
bear that in mind, you know, the, obviously relegation would be an absolute disaster. So you've got to make sure that doesn't happen. I think they're good enough to ensure that doesn't happen from the position they're in. Mm. But I wouldn't expect much more than that. And the fans aren't going to like that because the fans always want us to be pressing for the top six. But we were under Lee Johnson. So why did you want to get rid of Lee Johnson? So, I, you know, I, I, I keep going back to the, these managerial changes. And Lee is a highly respected young coach. I thought we had a guy who was a good representative for the club, a front man for the club, you know, highly respected in the game. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if he doesn't end up in the England setup one day. I'm not, not saying as a manager, but as a coach, because he's a very highly rated modern coach. OK, he's had his problems at Sunderland. I expect he'll get Sunderland up this season and that'll enhance his CV again. Yeah. And, and we'll be looking to, at him outside and think, well, what have we got? You know, and uh, we had an up and coming, improving young coach. You know, yeah. and, and that wasn't good enough for the fans. And, and finishing eighth wasn't good enough. Now they'd love to finish eighth. So it's, it's always when you've got to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, be careful what you yeah. wish for and exactly. uh, stuff like exactly. that. I mean, if you look at Nigel, he's you know he's younger than both of us. I think Nigel's 58, 59. Um, he's got Curtis underneath him. Could you see, and you've got a chief executive, Richard Gould, who we both agree is a step forward compared to the you know fingers in every pie, Mark Ashton. Could you see a situation where maybe Nigel steps up to a director of football type role and there is a, another young up and coming coach comes underneath him if we get to the end of the season and he's still in charge yeah a I less sincerely, stressful I sincerely position. hope not because right. I don't like directors of football I don't see the point of them and, yeah. and, and you know how do you get the balance right between the manager and the director of football we won't go back to 1998 John Ward in charge of Bristol City, they bring in associate director of football to work with him. That was the idea to, yeah, yeah. to work with him. As soon as John Ward knew what the responsibilities were, who's going to pick the team, who's going to determine the tactics, right? He's going to do that, so I'm off. It's as simple as that. And, uh, the, and, and one of the big problems I keep going because I watched both clubs, but Bristol Rovers last season had this guy Tommy Widrington, uh, who was on their staff, and he would come in each time a manager changed and everything, and he was having huge influence on things, you know. Joey Barton comes in and at the first possible opportunity gets rid of him. Or, you know, he's, he's, he's not even at the club anymore, I don't think. And he, no. first he'd, been, he'd been put in a different position. So you have got to be very lucky to have a director of football coach relationship that is, because in the end, who's making the decisions? Mm. And why would you pay two people to make decisions that one people? No, that's true. What I about a director it, or a, somebody running recruitment? Because intelligence scouting, you know, if you look, you know, we got fam from abroad. and we What's got two scout for? Yeah. Surely the chief scout runs the national, national scouting network. You know, do you have a chief scout? He runs the rest of the network. It seems, mm. seems to me perfectly, you know, you've got a lad called Rob Newman, who used to, we used to watch play, who's now um, head recruitment at West Ham. Yeah. Having done, having done a similar job at Manchester City. Yeah. You know, why are we not? Why did we not find a Rob Newman? You know, Lewis, Lewis Carey. Why is Lewis Carey not working for Bristol City? He's at Southampton working. You know? Yeah. What are the things that the fans love? And it's the reason Scott Murray is so popular is because there's longevity. Everyone knows Scott, great lad, wonderful ambassador for the club. Let's have more of them, more than people. But doesn't that, doesn't, but don't, don't people think it's the old boys network? No, you know, no. no. Simpson and Downing. Who would they rather have, Simpson and Downing or Rob Newman and Lewis Carey? 
Oh, uh, no I, doubt about that. You know, I mean, the ones who remember. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's anything to do with it. It's to do with when they got the talent, you know. And, mm. and Rob Newman has proved himself. Uh, he, he's worked in a scouting network. He's been head of a scouting network. He was head of Manchester City's operation in Spain. He was head of it in France. Now he's got the best, big, the biggest job in, in scouting at West Ham under David Moyes. And you might say, well, David Moyes has done the old boys network appointing him. But Rob's CV... Yeah, but he's got a track record now. Absolutely. Yeah. But wouldn't Nigel? But Nigel's got some that he could bring in, which is uh, Steve Steve Walsh, potentially. You know, do you think that's an addition that would benefit the club? Because Richard Gould is a chief executive. He's not a football man. He's a business lead. Yeah. Richard Gould's opinion on a player is probably no more informed than, dare I say, yours and mine in terms of what he would bring to the side, whereas... He would, he would tell you that himself, which is fine. Um, so, yes, if, you, if it's talking about recruitment, but what I'm saying is make that man head of recruitment, not director of football. All right, head of, head of recruitment. And so, so, yeah, and the head of recruitment, should that person report into the manager or the chief exec? I mean, that's... No. The, they, they, the, the head of recruitment, then, as I see it, should work. The manager should say who he wants, what position he wants filled. Mm. You want to find me one? I want this type of player to play in midfield. I want a Corey Smith. I want a Jerry Gow. I want a, you know, a, a tackler. Or I, or I want a, a fullback that can defend. Go and find me one. And then when they've, both, when they've decided who it is, you go to the chief executive and say, here's the money involved. Can we do it? And the, yeah. and the chief executive either says yes or no. It's as simple as that. And he may go to the board um, to get an okay or, or nay about that. But that's the way the system should work. You know, there's too many people involved now. I mean, in the old days, you know, Terry Cooper would find a player Simple as that. I want to sign Alan Walsh. Can we afford Alan Walsh? Well, we go to the board. What can we afford? Okay, we can afford 20, 20 grand. And they're offering, they're asking 85. Tribunal says 18. Simple as that. Because it's 18 less than 20, we sign him. And, and it's two people involved, the, you know, the chairman, or the, you, want, you want to bring in the director, yeah. the manager and the chairman. And that's the way the system used to work. Yeah. Head of recruitment, you've got another opinion, haven't you? What if, what if the head of recruitment says, yeah, this is the guy we want? And the manager thinks, well... Not sure, you know, does he go, because he's the head of recruitment and he's appointed him, does he go by his opinion? In yeah. the end, that stops with the manager. Whoever you, whoever you sign, nobody turns around and says, it's Richard fault. That's interesting, <laughs> but stops with the manager. Going back, and this is in the relatively recent past, do you think, and you look at the number of signings that have been made by Bristol City, let's say over the last six years or so, do you think all the players that came through the door at Ashton Gate were... Lee Johnson signings 100% that he sanctioned them wholeheartedly or not, as some people say. You know. I, I think I think mostly they would have been his signing, maybe all. Well, I don't think were his ideas were the sales. In fact, I absolutely know because he told me he didn't want to sell Adam Webster. He said the no. one player I don't want to sell is Adam Webster. And about three weeks later, they sold him. And then, and if I think this is true, which you'll agree that when Flint went, he said. I'll let Flint go if you get me Adam Webster, which was one of those... Lee Lee didn't think Adam Flint was a great player. Um, I I thought he did a better job than maybe maybe Lee did, but um, he wanted... He quite was happy to replace Adam Flint as long as they did replace him. With with Webster... He knew very well with Webster. They couldn't replace Webster because he was up and coming at Ipswich. We got him before anybody else really knew knew about him. He came back after injury, didn't he? Because he had a bit of an injury record, so we got lucky with that. We were able to get him for a reasonable price. And it showed by the and what do they make on him? About 17 million in profit they made on Adam Webster because they signed him for about 3 million, yeah. sold him for 20. So he was a player that was on the up, and that's the sort of players I like Bristol Caesar son. I don't really want 30-year-olds. No. And time and time and again, when they've been in a comfortable position, they've come up with this. The policy now is 
Nobody who hasn't got a sell-on value. And then as soon as they're in trouble, all that goes out the window. Naki Wells being a case in point. And so therefore, some people were saying the other day, why didn't we sign Benic a phobie? There's two reasons there. A, he is injury prone. And B, he's in that 30-plus age bracket. And therefore, whilst he might be doing okay at Millwall at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm not winding myself up about him not, uh, him not being there. You talk about Corey Smith, a lack of, uh, or even a Josh Brownhill type of player. Surely Joe Williams is a combination of both of those, and he was a good signing, but that's just been so much bad luck. Because if you look at a fully fit midfield three of Joe Williams, Matty James, Masengo, and then somebody creative uh, alongside them, you know, that, that looks, that's the dream midfield, even with players that are on our books at the moment, isn't it? Who's been somebody creative alongside them? We haven't got one. Well, you could have Alex Scott. You haven't got you haven't got an Alan Walsh. You got a, you no, know, you haven't. Yeah, okay, I'm talking about creators. What's your view on? Uh, your, we haven't talked about him. Uh, I'm not his greatest fan, but he's done quite well in some quarters, as some people say in recent weeks. Callum O'Dowder, you know, Northern Ireland international. This is his sixth season at the club. He's not had a breakthrough season yet. Would well, you retain? Is, would you retain him? Injury, injury has been the reason for that. I mean, Paul Callum's had a, had a lot of different injuries. I like him in the team because I think, along with Semenyo, he's he's one that will take on a player and go past him. And if you don't do, have somebody who can do that, you're playing in front of the opposition all the time. So yeah. you're playing pass across, pass across, pass across until you've got that one who upsets their defensive system by going past them. And Adada will do that. He'll take on a player and beat him. Then yeah. somebody else has to come across. That's fair. And then Semenyo is the same. You've got to have one of them at least and maybe more than one in the, in the side. So we've talked about the January window where we said, oh, we, we need a striker. But surely here's another way of looking at it. And again, I think we said this, the guys said this on the, the podcast a few weeks ago, that we got a problem, we ship too many goals and we don't have a, a playmaker in midfield. Surely if we were going to spend any money, if we signed a defender and a, I'll say it, a Tinian S type person, then we desisted with route one you could at least mix up, even if it was on a match day, a different combination from the Vyman, Martin, Semenyo, Wells combo up there. So instead of looking to bring in a goal scorer that there's no guarantee he's going to get 10 goals between now and the end of the season, why not start and try and put things further back? What do you think to that? It's, it's a point of view. I, I, I think that the reason things are pointed at the strikers is because Wyman's top scorer with nine goals and how many would you have said he was going to get at the start of the season maybe 15 would have been very good and mm. um, Martin 12 you know 10 12 maybe and you can't have a successful team without a 20 goal striker or, no. or at least two or three players that are contributing 30 goals you know between us so two 15 goal strikers yeah. or, or or three you know when one, get, one gets 10 we've got nothing like that so what you're saying basically is we're weak defensively, we haven't got a creative midfield player, we haven't got a midfield tackler, and we haven't got a goal scorer. So we're is buggered. It, is it any wonder <laughs> where they were they are in, a cha- in the championship? And I, and I still say, I think they're doing better than I probably thought they would, because with all those deficiencies, which are, can only be made up for in time, and next summer will obviously be, I don't, as I said, believe in wholesale changes in January unless you have to make them. I don't think they do. Yeah. Um, I would keep money in res- what money there is, and I don't think there's much in reserve for next summer when you get better value and and transform that or try and transform. And transfer. So looking to the balance of the season, then Richard, just to sort of pull things uh, together by way of a conclusion, um, we sat there on 27 points. You know, we need 50, so we don't. We can do marginally 
uh, you know, marginally worse than we have done so far. Um, that means winning eight out of seven out of 23 games. Yeah. We're, we've just got enough fuel in the tank to do that, really, haven't we? Yeah. I would think so. But the quicker it's done, the better, because as soon as you get to that 50 points and you're safe, you can start planning ahead. You can't start planning ahead really until you've done that. And, um, you know, you say you should do it. Yes, they should. But a losing streak in the championship is easy to do it. Lee Johnson had a losing streak of eight games, didn't he, at one time, which put mm. huge, pre- huge pressure on him. But Steve, Steve actually stuck by him at that point. But So you can get on a losing run in the championship very easily because it's so competitive and so many teams have got highly paid good, good players. So um, I don't think we can take it for granted that they're going to get 50 points. And I'm sure Nigel Pearson wouldn't, wouldn't look at it that way. And what he would look at, I'm sure, is that if we do do seven wins, let's get those seven wins in the next... 15 games not in the next 20 odd games so that you can then say right now it doesn't matter we're going to finish either 14th or 16th or whatever but we're fine um then you start thinking now right i can play young some other young players i can try are they any good if they're not any good we find out and then we make changes in the summer but i keep going back to the fact don't expect them to spend big money even no no i don't think they were um, finally, the youngsters. I mean, we start when I did these other half-season reviews. We looked at some of the positives. I mean, the fact that the likes of Tanner, Atkinson, Cameron Pring, um, Hanoa, he's only twenty, Alex Scott, and um, Semenyo, Benarus. If we can keep in the championship, this does all augur well for the future doesn't it that you know they've got more game time and more experience do you think that get over this season and get into next season financial fair play issues aside do you see us as a mid-table championship for the next five years or do you think it's just going to be one long struggle Uh, well the first thing is will we, we have all those players will we sell any of them uh, and again, with the financial position there is, if they've got a big offer for Alex Scott, for example, they take it. Absolutely certain. Because there are certain offers Bristol City get over the years have improved. You cannot, they don't turn down. So if they've got, in the, you know, 10 million or more or whatever for a, for a young player, as they did with Lloyd Kelly, where was Lloyd Kelly? Out the window straight away. So he's, he's got yeah. no, nobody says then we... There's all this thing about we've got to produce our own players. We've got to produce our own players. And when we are producing our own players, the academy is doing well. If they play five games and then you sell them, then really all you're, all you're doing is that money gets sucked into the debts that you, you've got yeah. and your losses each year. So you've basically produced a player to reduce your debts. That's what you've done. Yeah. You know, you haven't produced a player to get you into the Premier League. Hmm. I want to ask you one question, which we've touched on in, uh, just to finish, sorry, uh, just, we touched on in the pod a few times. Steve Lansdowne, he's created the Bristol sport model now where he's got, he's got the infrastructure and he's got a championship football club, a premiership rugby club. He's got the women's football doing okay. Basketball, they're doing the new development down there. He talks about bringing investment into the club. Do you think it's totally dismissible that he could to attract, and he's talked about, there's been talk of new investment. Is it totally ludicrous idea to think that he could say to somebody, right, here's the football club. You can play in my stadium and the rental is this. If you do get to the Premier League, the rental multiplies by a factor of 10 i get my money back that way and it's almost like he he franchises out the football entity as a separate thing so it would be a debt-free football club if he just as likely i think it's just as likely he sold the club altogether and this way you say be careful what you wish for if bristol city was sold 
the chances of it being a foreign consortium taking over would be astronomic, huge, because that's what's happening in football at the moment. And we see mm-hmm. what happened with Cardiff. Suddenly their, their regime want Cardiff to play in red shirts because um, they've got no idea of the tradition of, of the place, you know. Um, and these consortiums take over, Chinese, you know, Asian, you know, Rovers have got a Jordanian family and how, how are they doing under them? Not very well. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Steve Lansdon is the sort of person I think that'll only be fully appreciated when he's gone. And I don't mean dead, I mean left gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not going to go on forever. But what he, that bloke has done, you have to say without him, where would they be? And they'd probably be where Bristol Rovers are. That's, that's, what, that's my opinion, because they wouldn't have the facilities they've got with Steve Lansdon's money. They wouldn't. I mean, that, the club now, you go to that high performance centre, as they like to call it. I still call it the training ground. They don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically the training ground. But it is a high performance centre, and as much as the facilities there are unbelievable. I was shown around there the other day, and I couldn't believe doors were open and says, This is where players can train, train at altitude. Another door was open. This is an ice room, the opposite to a sauna where you, you don't have an ice bath, you go in this ice room. Open next one. There's sleeping pods for the players where they can go and put music on and 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 chill out. So they're sitting in a pod. You know, yeah. open another door. There's a hydrotherapy pool, the swimming pool, and everything the first team's got. Virtually the academy's got separately and just a, yeah, a, yeah. the same facility. So what they've built there is going to attract players over the years, eh? And it's a fantastic facility, unbelievable. And I, unless you went round it, you wouldn't believe what. Now, yes, they've got to have a team to go with it. But that is one area where people, players who are in two minds about joining clubs, will see those training facilities and will come to Bristol City. And that, I think, is more positive than the, than the young players. And Bristol is a lovely place because when people say it's a bit of an outpost, you know, that's just a, that's just ridiculous because, you know, if you're London-centric in terms of your social life, you know, after a match, you can be in London for dinner in the evening, you know. So, as you say, the facilities are now right and fit for purpose, fit for getting into the... Uh... It's always been the case that they've got in all our times. I remember David Russell being chairman, and um, they were talking about investing in the ground, and all the fans were saying, we need players, we need a team, you know. And he famously said to me, Richard, you don't buy the canary until you've got the cage. And what he meant was, you've got to have the facilities first, yeah. and then you put the team in place. And going back, I mean, I, I thought it was a real weird way of putting it, but it, I understand what he means. And if you look at it now, the facilities Bristol City got, the stadium is totally transformed to when we, you and I used to go around. I can't find my way around it anymore. I've been going there 40 odd years. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is now a, a real plus that players will love to come and play at. This high performance centre is something you'll show players around and they go, wow, you know, state of the yeah. art, really a state yeah. of the art. Lovely pitches out there and everything. Even a little stand for watching women's games and, and academy games. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fantastic feature that, and, and 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 Steve's been responsible for all that. So when when people say to me, "Oh, Steve Lanzo should do this, and he should have done that, and he should put more money in here, and he should do more that," I think to myself, "Yeah, well, you think well, Bristol City would be without him." And uh, yeah. just, and and if you're honest, they could well be in the same position as Bristol Rovers, no training ground. Because even when they're in the first division, bear in mind, City players trained on the car park in Ashton game. They did? No, absolutely. There was no training ground. And that was when they were in what is now the Premier League. So yeah. to have these facilities now as a championship club, my you talk about the future, consolidate in the championship again. We've, we've done it, had to do it several times. So yeah. give Pearson a chance if he's, his health is up to it and, and uh, let him build a team. Uh, but don't expect promotion next season. Expect another season of consolidation, hopefully progress. And yeah. let's get back to where we were when Lee Johnson was manager, which is knocking on the door of the playoffs. 
and that's that will be a step forward and then take it from there but i still come back to the fact that as long as these parachute payments exist and as long as the fair play things exist bristol city are at a huge disadvantage at the moment in, 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 in against the likes of fulham norwich west brom you know so three of them and bournemouth and they're, they're going to come down and go back up again you're talking about playoff places only but you're talking yeah you're talking, about, you're talking about, about probably 12 clubs competing for three playoff places and one of those gets to the final being better on the day than a team that's probably got 100 million pound more budget than they've got exactly. and that's it Blackpool did it. I mean, Adrian Holloway, didn't they? 2010, Blackpool, Blackpool somehow got into the Premier League. Yeah. Stayed there a couple of years where they were sensible was they didn't spend, they didn't spend a, a, a lot of money. Um, and uh, so they didn't come out of the league, Premier League, worse off than they went in, which so many clubs do because they've risked trying to stay there. You know, And that's what these parachute payments were designed to help, was if a team that's obviously raised its, its contracts because they're going into the Premier League, suddenly loses Premier League status, and one or two of them, as Bristol City did in the 80s, slid down through right through the leagues. But I still don't think parachute payments are fair. They pay no. for failure. You failed in, 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 in the league, and you get 150 million. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, I know. And if we got there, that would do a good day, a good way of repaying uh, Steve back some well, of the right. debt. That's why so many people try to get there. It's not yeah. about staying there, Dave. It's about getting there. Because yeah. once you get there... That's what, that's what you're on the end of, that sort of money, and TV money as well. You know, you're on the end of a fortune. Yeah, no, absolutely. Rich, that's been absolutely great. Here we go.